I want to be the best lover my woman has ever had. You know what I mean? And I realized that staying in that corner was not going to be it. Somebody's going to please her. When I get up after having sex and leave, she has to always go to the vibrator. I had a partner that was like that for me. I was like, I cannot, I was doing a countdown, like fall asleep, please. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And I had a partner that had to do that. I remember my baby mama, when I left one morning, um, I was going to the train station and I get to the train and I didn't have my Metro card. And I'm like, damn, I'll go back to the house, get the Metro card. And as soon as I open the door, you mm. <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> right? And I didn't realize it's because she wasn't ever always satisfied. Like sex is one thing, but satisfaction is another. When you say protection, providing, it's not just money. It's not just protecting from other people. It's from your own insecurities, uh, projecting your shit onto them and limiting their growth because you ain't really going nowhere. You know, so I'm, I'm on a journey with her. We're doing it together. Lovers and friends. Lovers and friends. I'ma take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I said, lovers and friends. Uh, I'ma hold you down, down to the end. I said, hi there, lovers and friends. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Sham Boudram. I have a master's in psychology. I'm certified as a sexologist. I graduated from college for print journalism, but don't get it twisted. I ain't no nerd. I know bookworm. I am of the people. The bulk of my education comes from the fact that for the past 15 years, I have been working with, speaking with, and learning from the people. When I say I am public facing is because I've had the benefit of interacting with millions of people about this topic. And I interact from my YouTube channel, through my books, and through writing, through online seminars, through in-person seminars, and then from the TV shows and big projects I've worked on. For example, you might recognize me from Netflix's Too Hot to Handle as their intimacy expert. I am the host of The Marriage Pact on the Roku channel. I did a TV show with Andy Cohen called X-Rated. I worked with MTV on a guide to series. And all in all, I just love what I do, and I love doing it out loud. I genuinely believe that a healthy, intimate life powers the why for being a human being on this planet. I think that it provides so much opportunities, not just for satisfaction and pleasure, but for growth and exploration and for pain, which I think is also a healthy part of the human experience. And we've gotten to talk about all of that here in this podcast. So we're going to go on a hiatus. <laughs> Um, this episode is going to be a culmination episode. So if you are just tuning in for the first time, this is a great place to start as I'm going to be highlighting some of my favorite episodes over our 100 episode library. And if you already listened to all the episodes, it's a good opportunity just to check back in with the meat and potatoes of some of the things that I really hope that you have all taken away from this. I have taken more than I could genuinely ever give back it has been such a beautiful opportunity to sit down and talk with people for an hour at a time and to learn the gems of their lived experiences and to see how those gems could apply to my life and moreover to all of your lives too. So yeah, we're going to be focusing on less recent episodes in this recap episode of Lovers and Friends. And we're going to start things off with Glow Autonomo. This episode was specifically for single people, but... Whether you're partnered or you're absolutely solo, I think that the purposefulness mixed with the playfulness, the directiveness mixed with the explorativeness that 
Glow approached finding her person with is something we can all learn from. I think at any given moment, I was probably chatting with 12 like, quality men. And so for me, it was like, ah, a misconnection. Eh. But like all of them, because it's Europe, they were all like white, Mediterranean, you know, South African, Cuban, like just a mix. But I didn't have, I dated like, I feel like the rainbow. Um, and I took away preferences. Like after I realized that. At any that, given moment, I was talking to 12 quality men. <laughs> Black women, please go to Europe. We're not going to pretend that this is not a bar. We're going to just skate past that. This is why I want Black women to travel. <laughs> I really, I'm just saying, I'm just saying like there's a lot more options and quality options. I love that. <laughs> I'm loving this story too, because <laughs> what's helpful about this for me to frame, because the last thing I would want to hear from somebody is that they came off of toxic relationship after toxic relationship, that they had a moment, they were like, my next greatest adventure is going to be a person. Yeah. And then they found somebody because at that point they felt like they were drowning in the ocean and this person was a life raft. Mm. Like I've been dragged under, I've been disappointed, yeah. I'm down and out. You, you float, let's go. Oh, wow. Which is so not your experience at all. I would say only until 2020. I would say that was when I like downloaded all the apps and really started this intentional dating journey. Um, but again, I'm just grateful because I would see people in love. I would see love happening for my friends engagements, marriages, babies. And I, I did feel like left behind. And I was that single friend that like, oh, Chloe, one day your person is coming. You just, I know that time, I'm like, girl, stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dump your pity elsewhere. Like, I know, like, this is pitiful, but I'll be okay. Um, so I did feel like I was missing out, but I'm grateful that I was never in a place of desperation. Yes. Or dating out of desperation. Like, and when you got to that point where yeah. you identified it as a need, yeah. you didn't approach it from a place of desperation. No. So I was single, sober, and celibate. And that was funny enough. That was going to be the name of a book. And my agent was like, hell no. <laughs> but I was like, that's what I committed to for myself before finding my person. I stopped drinking almost 11 months ago. Um, I stopped having sex. I just wanted to like clear out soul tie energy and yeah, I, I wanted partners that were okay with not having a physical component um, in the beginning. Cause like, again, sex is, I knew that my life partner, sex would be such a small part. Um, so I started going on that journey. I would leave space in between people to clear out any type of bitterness, any frustration, anything that I felt that like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I wasted a month. No, gratitude. I would make sure gratitude, compassion, love, light. Like if I felt any bit of like, resentment towards them, I would call it out. All right, Glow, why why are you starting to feel like he wasted your time? Like start start like journaling. Like what what's there? And I wouldn't let it just sit and fester because it's gonna come out to someone or somewhere. So I got really good at just like clearing out my energy. I actually think I'm gonna call Krizia in here in a little bit towards the end because uh Krizia, who is the full-time producer on this podcast who you yeah. communicated with, who's yeah. so phenomenal, yeah, heard what your my next greatest adventure is a person yeah. and was trying really want to call that into her life this year. Oh. I feel like so much of what you're do giving is such beautiful advice oh, for how good. to approach a need for yeah. love without neediness. Mm. And yeah. that's tricky. It is. It is. And I want to say too, like cheers to the renewal of hope, oh. of hope having a comeback yeah. because I think that we got into the era of being realistic. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then accountability is a huge thing, yeah. right? Because of the fact that things are recorded and that what you say can get called upon. And there's Absolutely. the presentism factor there. Absolutely. If you said it three years ago, yeah. I read it today. You said that shit today. Yeah. And I'm judging you based on that. And Absolutely. so we have to always not just think of what we say, but how is this going to be interpreted through the various stages of life? Absolutely. And that is, I think, a reason why a lot of people are like, I don't want to say too much or give too much because I don't want to look stupid later. And that takes a level of like vulnerability and humility. And one thing that I was like really, again, because I, I went back and forth for probably, yeah, when I was ready to share it, I was like, nope. <laughs> it's like I, I was still like, no, nah, none of their business. Keep it with my friends. Um, but I looked at all of the black women that I really looked up to and just really admired. And I was like, one day they were just engaged or one day it was a wedding photo but I never saw like how as a public figure, as a public person, as an influencer, as this, you know, how do we do it? And so like showing people that like who are also public figures or who are just everyday people, they need more modern day examples of how to approach online dating, app dating, or just like how to set standards, what questions to ask. And yeah, I just, I always try to create the thing that I wish existed for myself. Somebody is watching this video right now and they just prayed to God yeah. the way that you did yeah. in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> and said, God, maybe it's not for me. Yeah. I know a lot of people in my family. Yeah. Maybe they didn't say the prayer, yeah. but they definitely said aloud, this is not for me. Yeah. This part of my life this is not going to happen. Yeah. I maybe I already have a kid or I already have a career. Yeah. Like I have enough. I don't know if love is possible for me and I'm okay letting go of that possibility. I think for those people who have like given up, be open, um, be patient and like really love and heal yourself. I thought love would come to me in a certain way. I had to like almost go find it. So like I was op more open-minded with like, okay, if I want to find someone who's a traveler, like go to the hub of travel, which is Europe. It's in proximity to like, six continents like it it is the hub of the world like you will find every nationality in Europe did you go to Europe to find love yeah yeah there's this thing called a Eurorail pass and you basically can take a first class train um to 33 countries um unlimited for a month so I was just like literally mapping out my journey every two days so I would like start in like Slovenia and then go to Hungary and then Macedonia and Greece. And I'm literally just like winging it. Like I'm swiping, I'm changing my city two days before I arrive on the apps to make it seem like I'm already there. So that by the time I got there, I already had at least one suitor to like meet up with, have coffee, go on a walk with, um, show me their favorite view in the city. So yeah, it was like, all right, I'm open. I'm ready. Like let's date. Let's, 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 let's build connection. And on my, my profile, I was like also saying like, I'm looking for creative connections. So I also made it clear that like, while I wanted a husband, while I was looking for a person, I wasn't coming at it from an angle of like, you should know whether I'm your woman or not, like right away. I don't know if that made sense. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> I think there's a very big difference. And I was going to say that too, because the thing with intentional dating sometimes is the intention becomes the bond. And that should never be the basis of yeah. why you say yes to somebody. It's like, I want a wife, you want a husband. Let's do it. Let's do it. Like, I have the parts, you have the parts. Yeah. We both have the intentions. And then you were like, okay, did you want to get married to me or did you just want to get married? And there's a very big difference. And so I think that there's something beautiful about saying to the world, 
I'm looking for a long-term partner. Yeah. And I'm willing to meet and get to know a lot of different people to yeah. see if that makes sense for our connection. That's why I stopped the romantic dates. Like they would bring flowers and chocolate, wine and dine me, $300 dinner. And I'm like, okay, this is a lot. And I'm like, now I feel obligated to keep dating you because you're you're pulling out all the stops. And I'm like, am I being like impressed or am I like building a connection? So like, let me show up in sweats. Let me not have makeup on. Let me just go as if I'm like going on a hike or just meeting up with an old friend. Like I made it super casual and it allowed both, pe both people to kind of like drop their representative and come as they were with their full self of like, hey, let's meet you. Which in turn allowed you to make a very big decision in 30 days or less as to whether or not you saw a future. Yeah. I like what I'm, I like what you're putting down. I really do. <laughs> For your convenience, full episodes will be linked in the show notes or the info box. And now let's keep it rolling. I have got my fave parts of the conversation from episodes with Jesse Reyes, Melissa and Kev on stage, Abby De La Rosa, Shnola Hampton, Tim Chantarongsu, AKA Tim De La Ghetto, Drew Love from They, Rachel Lindsay and Dr. Poucher. But before we get to those, we have one sponsor for this episode. And if you have been on the hunt to find a skincare product that can actually deliver what they promise, one skin has what you have been searching for. Thanks to their disruptive approach that targets skin aging at the source. Yes, with one skin's revolutionary approach, you can wrap up 2023 with the gift of radiant and healthy skin for yourself or your loved ones. Their products are powered by a groundbreaking peptide, OS-1, which is the first ingredient scientifically proven to prevent the accumulation of aged, known as senescent cells, the primary culprit behind skin aging. The real magic? OS-1 has actually been proven in the lab to reduce the biological age of skin by several years, meaning it not only prevents, but slows down skin aging, leaving you with healthier, hydrated, glowing skin. The holidays are here and it's the time to invest in your skin and the best routine is by one skin. I personally feel so. This has really been a one of a kind product for me where I see and feel a different. My skin just feels more full, more youthful, and I got two babies, so I know what good skin feels like. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. One Skin addresses skin health at the molecular level, targeting the root causes of aging so skin feels and appears younger. It is time to get started with your new face, eye, and body routine at a discounted rate, of course, today. New customers get 15% off with the code LOVERS15 at oneskin.co. That is 15% off at oneskin.co with code LOVERS15. The new year is approaching. Now is the best time to invest in your skin. Age healthy with one skin. And speaking of healthy, let's get into the interview with Jesse Reyes. Okay, first of all, I'm fucking blown away because you're in your 20s. No, it 30. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, looking 15 hey, years old. Hey, thank you. You know what? I'm actually also trying to switch that mentality to, to like, oh, looking 15 is a positive thing because it's not, right? Like, there's a difference between looking like healthy. looking healthy. Like, I want to switch now from you look good for your age to your age looks good for you. Mm. Like, so whatever age you're at right now looks really good for you. Thank you. You look great for your, you look great with your age. Thank you. Um, anyhow. But that's great. You know what's great is like fixing thought patterns in the moment. That shit is clutch because that oh, shit is you. like practice in real life. I do that shit all the time, but that's dope. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, I think that it's very easy to lean into the narrative, especially when you probably have encountered a lot of shitty partners in your formative, formative loving years, that it's, it's always the other person for women. 
for women, yeah. Um, so to hear you start the conversation off with I fucked up is a little rare. Mm-hmm. I think so. Rare for me, I was hard for me to swallow. Can you expand on that more? Like, what does it look like to not be emotionally present in a relationship? You feel like an idiot when you're done because you feel like you've become this monster. For me, it felt like I became a monster because it felt like everything that he was now listing was things that I had an issue with with past, par- with past partners. Can and you give me that list? Yeah, like going ghost. I can't believe I did it so often and I didn't even realize I did it that often, you know? Or not like little things like not following up, not not being aware of their needs, not making an effort to be more um, of like the person that's in the corner. And especially because for me, like I've never been the type to vent unless I'm seeking a solution. So it's always been very abstract for me when some, and my friend, and I don't have really, I don't like, I can count my close friends on one hand. And my homegirl, who's been my girl since we were like 14, has said this to me. Like, sometimes I just want you to listen. And I've heard her say that, but I didn't apply it to my partner. So, my ex-partner. So, it was just, uh, it was just fucked to hear it. It fucked to hear it. Um, And to hear that I was being so cold when I was getting brought his issues or problems or whatever. Because I'd be like, so do this, so do that. Like, why don't you fix it this way? Just little things like that, you know? Or making time from work because I've been so like focused on work and setting aside time to treat partnership like a priority wasn't even a thought for me. Like well, especially work, when Beyonce's on the other line. It's hard. It's hard. But it just wasn't a thought. And then I never see family and I never see, rarely see family, rarely see friends. So it was just... It, it, it's hard not to equate the value of a relationship with how much time you've known someone. So also because I was like, well, if I don't see family and I don't see these people and you've only been in my life this much, then I don't see why you would be up here on the totem pole of priorities when I need to, you know, but it shouldn't be that way. Especially if you're looking at someone like your partner. I just didn't make it a priority and I end up feeling like shit because because then I had to catch myself in a thought pattern of blaming my other ex for how I had become. This cold, can't say I love you, can't open up, can't, not even, it got to the point where I started like praising how careless I was about certain things because I never checked his phone, never like, never questioned anything, girls, whatever, because I just, Focused on me and I just, I don't, I don't know what, it, I'm not even sure what it was, but I was just so detached to someone that wanted to be attached and someone that was sweet and kind. And I just saw so much of my ex in me now or in that moment. Tell me more about that. It, uh, it was a wake up call for lack of accountability that I had because in that moment that I wanted to blame someone else for how I was acting, that sentence in itself is not like it's void because you can't because you control yourself, you know? So it's not his fault that now I'm scared to love. It's my fault that I didn't heal properly. It's my fault that I'm projecting the shit I went through on someone that doesn't deserve it. It's my fault that I 
didn't assess the situation properly and the risk and reward because I should have just jumped head first with someone that had shown time and time again, or, or with someone that had shown that they, um, that they were trustworthy. And it's just, uh, accountability is a hard pill to swallow, especially when you got to go through steps like that. Cause the first step is getting hurt. The next step is blaming them. And then the next step is like, the next step is like taking the double L cause now you're like, well, it's not even your ex's fault. It's not even, it's nobody's fault but mine. You know, it's nobody's fault but mine. But there's lessons. So the lesson is like, I just need to make sure I heal properly before I embark on part in partnership. Understanding what partnership is, just being more receptive and and just not being afraid because fear is a bitch and fear is such a waste sometimes. And obviously things happened how they were supposed to happen. But had I not had fear, I might have actually, like, experienced a safer love. You know what I mean? Is this a nice guy's finished last story? Ugh. Is it? That sucks. It might be. But I don't think it's last. Like, I'm sure that to him, maybe I was the example of what it's not supposed to be. You know? Like, I'm sure he's going to find someone great and someone kind and someone that can match his energy at the time, you know, like at wherever he's at, I'm like, I'm sure it'll happen. So I don't think it's nice guys finish last. Cause I don't think it was either like, it wasn't a loss for either of us, you know, like learning curves and an experience and just understanding different things for me, understanding what I want more of. And for him, maybe understanding what he doesn't want more of. It's like a side question, but just thinking and hearing your story, it is so, I can't even just begin to tell you that your eloquence and your ability to communicate your feelings and your experiences so cleanly is just very phenomenal. Thanks. Um, which is why you're an incredible, incredible songwriter. Do you even write about this though? Because it is feels, one, it's hard to get to this place of emotional maturity. And two, I don't think a lot of women find themselves in this position where they can admit that they weren't showing up for somebody who was showing up fully for them because they're so used to the reverse story. Do you tell this story? Um, no, I haven't put it publicly out yet, but yeah, I do write about it. The fear that I have in listening to your story is a fear. It comes from this place from, um, for me growing up, I was always told by my dad that people can't be too nice to me, that my personality type was that people had to be a little mean to me in order for me to value them. And that was something that I took with me. And it wasn't until I met my husband, Jared, who was just the kindest person. I literally referred to him as like white snow. You know, when you see like <laughs> a just plain white snow, and if you step in the snow, you're gonna see your footprint. Yeah. If you pee in the snow, you're gonna see that piss. And he was the first person I just saw myself completely reflected back on. Everybody else, because they were so reactionary to me, I never had a chance to see like, oh, you did that, you made that mess. And through him, I was like, oh, I actually can stomach kindness. I actually can, um, but it was also, the harder part wasn't necessarily accepting the kindness, it was accepting that I had to work on being kinder. So in listening to your story, I wanna know what this informed you about yourself. Same, every, like everything you just said. Everything you just said, that's why I was like, holy shit that you just said that, cause like, yeah, for me, if, if in my experience and love prior to, my experience in love prior to, if it didn't hurt, if it wasn't passionate, it wasn't real, you know? 
So when I was in this peaceful union where someone made space for me to express things and and I feel like I saw certain things, like he was able to reflect things back without it being combative. Up next, we're going to head into the conversation with Melissa and Kev on stage. And why I loved this particular interview is because it was a great example of what the work looks like in healthy long-term love. And long-term listeners, lovers and friends know that I have a problem with the work, right? That that adage that relationships take hard work can often give people the impression that love is supposed to be arduous and painful and chaotic and challenging, back-breaking, soul-crushing work. And it's just not. Doesn't mean that it isn't still challenging. Doesn't mean that it isn't still arduous at times, but it just feels different when you're with the right person. And the feeling that you got from listening to these two people is really the feeling that I wish for all of you. What characterizes sex being difficult in a marriage? And how do you think that you found the secret sauce to overcome that challenge? Oh, what a great question. Oh, good. You are good at this. Thanks, friends. Um, <laughs> you guys are parents for real. We really great are. Job. Yeah. Job. <laughs> you want to go first? No, go ahead. Okay, so I'll just speak to what helped me, right? Well, I'll speak to what hurt me and then what helped me. What hurt me is going into marriage with, you know, we're Christians and uh, uh what you are sold, I would say, just hold on. Once you get married, you unlock all this crazy stuff. The marriage bed's undefiled. So I grew up, I was watching. What does that mean? Marriage bed's undefiled? Yeah. It means you can be a freak. You could be a freak. Really? Bible. Yes. All bets are off? All bets are off. Not really. Yeah, that's They true. say all bets are off. They still be a little what bit about of rules. Butt stuff? Butt stuff's No, that's it's bestiality. in. Well, oh, well. Marriage, okay. I have a different perspective today. Marriage, be, marriage bed is undefiled. In theory, means... All bets are off, as long as you both are there. Correct. However, in most churches, the churches we grew up in, there was a limit to that. That's true. Right? So what we have found is... They talk about that? They don't talk about it. It's kind of wink, wink. Like in marriage... Uh, st- I mean, listen, we're in these marriage conferences and stuff. They ain't talking about nothing crazy. You ain't talking about watching sex. It's like, well, you ain't watching no porn. That's out. Porn. And, that's uh, out? That's out. Porn's out. That's on the red list? That's that's considered adultery because what you get in your mind and your eyes yeah. is considered adultery. Butt stuff, borderlines, bestiality. I've even heard church missionaries say oral sex is out because if right. God wanted me to put that in my mouth, he wouldn't give me teeth. And I'm like, you put all kinds of things in your mouth that you don't need teeth for. Soup, <laughs> ice cream, like that's a terrible analogy. So, but what ends up happening a lot of times is people impress their views on you as Bible, as law, right? So when I went into my marriage, I'm like, everything's going to be happening. I'm going to be doing this and doing that. And I didn't really consider the partner that I was going to be married, right? Melissa was a church girl. She was very conservative. I wasn't considering that. In my mind, because I was sold, once we get married, you turn into a freak. How you do that is up to you. I don't have to do nothing. I do kiss, kiss, and let's go straight to whatever we want to do. What I found is in an actual practical marriage, it's like eating out, right? Or eating, period. Some days you're going to feel like home-cooked meal. It's going to be amazing. Some days you're going to go to a steakhouse or a Nobu. It's going to be like, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing I ever had. And some days you're just going to get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because you're hungry. And, you know, you ain't like, oh, this ain't the world's best peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but it's satisfying. <laughs> and that's sex. Like, sometimes sex is like, oh, we, we're on vacation or the kids are at my parents' house or her parents' house. We're doing all this crazy stuff. Some days it's like we've both been busy. 
It's been five, six days. I know this is important to you, but all I got is a hand job in me today. And I'm like, I'll take a hand job. Great sex for me is there's so many ways, honestly, and I'm not even like capping or gassing you. I never I feel too old to say capping and I'm not from Atlanta. I feel the exact same way. I can't okay. cap doesn't um, yeah. come out right. But uh, when you said it, it, it did work. It worked. Just did it work? It was yeah. believable? Yeah. Okay, I'm not even capping cuz dead homies. Um, too much. Too much. I enjoy since my mindset mindset has shifted, I enjoy all types of sex, whatever it is. Vacation sex, I'll say what makes for great sex for me is the openness of Melissa, right? Where, whether we're on vacation or two mojitos in, maybe three, maybe four. Um, <laughs> we're never going to get drunk, though, because we're too old for hangovers young, and throwing up. Young people's uh, That is a great experience for me. But I found that I, I, I can't, I don't, and I'm not even like, I'm really trying to think and be honest. I don't feel like I have a lot of bad sex experience. I enjoy sex with my wife and I have enough to satisfy a healthy young man. So I'm never like, oh, that was bad. This happened, used to happen early in our marriage uh, before we talked about it. Feeling like uh, a thing on the to-do list, like, okay, I got to. I got to, you know, cook dinner, clean the dishes, sweep and jack him off. And then I can go to bed and feeling like, wait, put me before those uh, <laughs> things, you know, feeling like. OK, uh, so it's not uh, being on the list. Being, it's the order. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> being on the list is fine. But when you're the last on the list, you have enough energy. I'm you know trying to give you first position in the morning. Yeah. I, you got to tap me. I don't be knowing she's awake. It, it's dark. You got to, hey, this is one of those days. I literally get up every time you get up. Which is why I think I always consider myself a passive participant in it. Because I didn't have a need um, that was considered to be met. It was all about his. And I think over the years with, um, you know, just learning different things, podcasts, all of these things, I've been able to, like, articulate those things and then have that discussion with him. I think it's such an important thing because yeah, people are like communicate, but you're like, how do I put words to something that I can't even understand exactly. myself? Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Or I've never even heard that word before. Listen to yeah. me, like I literally don't even. I feel like something's wrong, but I don't even know how to tell you or express. Like this is what I'm. I don't even know. Um, it's part of the thing that I really love about podcasts. I say this all the time is it allows people to hear and put words to their feelings. So I could say something. They're like, that's exactly what it is. And that's my favorite part of this whole journey, because I know podcasts and books that I've read or I've listened to where they've put those words to my feelings. And then I'm able to send him like, listen to from here to here. <laughs> Because that's me. It's already pre. You know how yeah. you can send a link with it to yeah. start wherever? She'll do that. Just hit play. Yeah, just hit play. Listen for about five minutes. That part right there, that's me. That's what I've been trying to tell you. The next episode that I want to highlight is one of our top three most listened to episodes. It's Abby De La Rosa, whom is one of the baby mothers in the Nick Cannon baby mother camp. And she wouldn't even feel a way about me saying it that way. Um, at the height of the time that this story was going around, Abby reached out and said that I want to share my perspective. At one time, I believe Nick Cannon had somewhere between three to five women pregnant and already had many existing children in this world. Abby um, already had a child with him when she came to interview with me um, about being pregnant again with Nick from Nick Cannon's child. Nick is my primary partner. Yes. I'm now I mean during this pregnancy, 
I'm monogamous by choice. I'm monogamous by choice, and that's very important for me to state. But if a connection comes, and it doesn't necessarily have to be sex, and I think that's what everybody always thinks is, oh my God, you guys are having one big orgy. And it's like, actually, no, it's actually quite the opposite, and it's beautiful, and it could be a form of intimacy that's not sexual. It could be deep conversations or you know, these fun, random, spontaneous dates or trips. And I think that people are so focused on what it is that they're afraid of. And that's... Well, in truth, they're afraid of what's happening to Nick. They're afraid of it turning into multiple children. (laughs) It's so true. And I don't blame anybody, though, because it does. It looks out of this world. It looks out of the norm. So naturally, yes, I could understand everybody's distaste and disagreeance in the way that I have chosen to live my life. And I and I find it funny, too, when everyone's always coming and be like, he's playing you. He's playing. I'm like, technically speaking, we all know about each other. It's just how much do you want to know? How much are you choosing to know? And I I find empowerment in my truth and in my reality and in the way I have formulated my life to be. So whenever I get those comments like he's playing you, I'm like, like you said, is he though? Like, right. I'm living. And it was a good conversation and it was illuminating, but I actually think what was stronger about this episode was the dialogue that I had afterwards with a friend of mine and a therapist. So if you like the tea and you want to hear from an alternate perspective an alternate lifestyle. I highly suggest listen to this entire episode and listen to Abby De La Rosa's interview in particular. Um, but if you want to know what resonated with me the most, it was the conversation that I had afterwards as a result of my interview with Abby. And that's what I'm going to play for you guys right now. After my last relationship, I it, I took a I took a stand back from like letting people know like who I was talking to and why mm-hmm. I was talking to them. Mm-hmm. I think I was open with you and Kevin about it because we were just around each other all the time. And you would ask, like you are one of my friends who like literally sits down and asks me questions. Mm-hmm. I want my friends to just be excited and supportive of all the things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have some friends who hold me to a higher standard mm-hmm. um, than I can sometimes live up to. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that disappoints me. But for the most part, I just want everyone to be supportive. Like, okay, you talking to that one because it is? All right, girl, cool. (laughs) That one because it is? All right, I love Mm -hmm. it. How Mm -hmm. is he treating you? Great, you're happy? Okay, we'll go with it. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. that is what I'm doing. I'm just trying to figure out all of the pieces that make me happy. Hopefully, my overall goal, I guess, like Abby, is to be in a monogamous relationship. Mm -hmm. And so until I do, I'm just going to have little things here and there. Mm. What's the difference between the version of you now that's like, no, when I say that I'm happy, believe me, mm-hmm. and the version of you when you're in your last relationship that was like, hey, even if I say I'm happy, if you question see something, me. question me. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm just a lot more confident in myself. So I know I, I'm older. I've had more experience. I feel like my relationships reflect that. Like I've become a lot more close with my friends. Yeah. I've become yeah. a lot more open with my friends. Because mm-hmm. I was insecure before, mm-hmm. I would just not say a lot of things. Yeah. And because I'm becoming more open, I think the my loved ones can see that. Mm. Hopefully. That gives me an aha too, because I think about that being a big difference for me in that 
at the time that I was in this negative relationship, but trying to portray it positively, that was everything in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I always think about that game from Sesame Street, like one of these things doesn't belong. <laughs> and you gotta pick it out. Three of these things are kind of the same, but one of these things just doesn't belong here. And it wasn't like my negative relationship didn't belong. Mm-hmm. It actually was Belonged perfectly- in the rest of your life, <laughs> yes. right? Because everything was kind of like- Everything. Yeah. Why do you think, for both of you in these situations, why do you think- kind of carrying on in these situations that were making you feel miserable? Why do you think that that was the choice that was made in those moments? I think there's a little bit of sunk cost theory Mm -hmm. where you've invested so much Mm -hmm. that you want to see a return on your investment. Mm -hmm. And especially in my scenario, the person I was dating had a negative reputation. And so Mm -hmm. there was warnings in the beginning Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to double back and be admit how you were wrong. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm mm-hmm. dead ass wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that there was a little bit of that. And then also just to like, you're in love mm-hmm. and in love is an addiction. And so regardless if it's a positive or a negative in your life, like you just decide that this is what it is. And I also think that there's mantras out there like love is hard work. Mm-hmm. And so you accept that this is a part of the hard work. You know, mm-hmm. there's no real further explanation as to like, okay, there's hard work and there's like, hey, I'm in the coal mines exactly. and I might die next <laughs> exactly. year. Right? Like there's right. a difference between challenging and backbreaking, soul crushing, mm-hmm. hard work. For mm-hmm. sure. And when we don't know how to differentiate the two, then we just throw ourselves into these awful toxic relationships and then tell ourselves, well, this is what it takes. Mm-hmm. I remember I was at a restaurant once and I was sitting there with him having an awful time. And there was a mural behind him that said, look inside your heart and all there is is love, love, love. Mm. And I was like, this is what I have to remember. Mm. Like, I can love enough for both of us. Mm-hmm. I can give enough. Like, inside me, mm-hmm. I am capable. Enough to make this relationship mm-hmm. to make work. it work. Yeah. Ooh, girl, yeah. yes. Yeah. But no. But no. Yes, but no. <laughs> like, yes, that you had that realization because yeah. eventually got you here to where you are. But like, no. Yeah. Like, no, that's not okay. Right. It should be both parties giving that much. Yeah. But that's right. the thing is you actually genuinely believe, again, in a weird way that this is a positive mm-hmm. relationship and that this can work out and this mm-hmm. is good. Mm-hmm. So interestingly for you saying that you wish people said something, later when you think back and you're out of it, you're mm-hmm. happy for those who said something. But at the time, I distanced myself from anybody who had anything negative to say. But is it crossing a line? Mm-hmm. Are you feeling terrible? Is it disrespectful? Are you are your boundaries consistently being crossed? Is this person negating you in some type of way? Are they discounting you? And that's kind of the question I have for all of this because I think naturally listening to someone's experience that treads the line. Mm-hmm. When one because it's an unrelatable experience as this situation is, it's out of this world for many people. Or two, because that person maybe does hold two contrasting truths. Mm. But I would love an expert opinion on like, how should we actually respond when we're in these situations where we're like, I want to believe what you're experiencing, but it's difficult for me to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think there's a, a few things that we can do. First one is 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 to believe. Let's just get on board and and believe. There's really no harm done in believing. Where we start to enter into harmful spaces is when we're not believing people. And if they believe it, then that's the support, is just coming in and believing them. The second thing, especially when we're dealing with friendship and you're talking about kind of wishing you had that feedback, is checking in. Hey, when I'm listening to the situation, Uh, Do you want some feedback? Do you want me to just listen? Do you want me to vent with you? Do you want me to distract you? And the last thing I would say is reserve judgment. Nobody needs judgment. Judgment is super harmful. There's never 
really a good space. You know, we can offer constructive feedback. I have a bestie when we talk and, and we're, she's wanting my, my feedback. I don't go in going, you're doing this or this is this or this is judgment. I go, okay, well, let's, let's think about this. And, and what I know about you is that that doesn't usually make you happy. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about that? But that's, that's pointing out, you know, just what's going on for them. Or you're saying you're happy, but you're, you know, you're not sleeping and you're not eating and you're not caring for yourself. So I'm concerned about, about that. And that's a very, again, a very different tone, but I'm also coming in with, I've, I've, giving you the space. So let's talk about that. What what is what is this happiness feeling like to you? What is what how would you like to process that? How are you defining it? And sometimes I'll even say my definition of happiness might be different than yours. So let me define what happiness looks like for me and can you please define what happiness looks like for you so that we can get on the same page. I think I've switched and I think a lot of some people who listen to the podcast are disappointed about that version of me. Mm-hmm. I think in around 2018 I made a conscious effort to switch my language from that's crazy to that's fascinating mm. in everything. Mm-hmm. Like if someone says something to me that I think is crazy, you say it's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fascinating. Because it is. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. Like, oh man, like I like to put hot sauce in my cereal. Right. That shit's crazy, but it's also really fascinating. Yeah, like why do you <laughs> make wow. that? Tell yeah. me more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the more that I kind of took on that mindset, the more that I realized that when I led with that's fascinating, somebody would say something to me that I would be like, oh wow, I could never see it from that perspective. Mm. Right. And so leading with that curiosity, then you mm-hmm. actually get to learn a lot more, yes. um, but then you teach a lot less. Yeah. So yeah, so I wonder about that too. If it's better to ask questions and let that person give mm-hmm. themselves the advice mm-hmm. than it is. And I wonder from a therapist's perspective, and I actually love that you said like you believe people first and foremost, mm-hmm. because I would think as a therapist, you're like, okay. <laughs> Here's reality. So much. <laughs> Here's you. I'll try to get you there. That's because we're naturally skeptics, yeah. Jan. We're naturally like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> That's, that's who we are. Yeah. But I love that. Like, you believe. Yes, I do. I do believe people. Because even if things are going to change, even if they're going to go through their journey and go, actually, that doesn't work for me, that's what they believed themselves in that moment. So how is it helpful for myself in, in the therapeutic relationship, but anybody to go, no, it's not. <laughs> no. It's, no, 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 no. No, no. No, it's not. <laughs> Pardon me, but I'm I'm (laughs) going to object. So it it doesn't work. Right. And and that's the beauty of believing and and creating that support is that when something does happen, if it happens, that person knows I can trust this person to support me through it because they supported me through all of this. They let me go through my process. It's very isolating when when Mm -hmm. you don't get believed, when people are, are passing judgment on you and and you you talked about that disappointment they may not want to come to you you know they may not want to come to that person who's who's passing that but if they're like i believe you now i'll believe you then i'll believe you in the future and i will hold space for you in whatever ways that you're ready to hold space for yourself i had heard from multiple podcasters that you get so close with your podcast community and i never understood what that meant because as somebody who creates content across multiple platforms. I'm like, well, you have a parasocial relationship. They're all the same. Something very different with podcasting. You get to know people in a different way. I just think that because it's conversation-based, the commentary you get from people 
is more conversation based, like as if we were really sitting across from each other. I learned about your fears. I learned about your strengths. I learned about your orgasms. I learned about your kinks. I learned about your boundaries. Um, and because of this dialogue that we created with each other, that was more in depth, more long form, more mindful, I felt a sense of trust here that I've never experienced before in the content creation space. And one of the ways that you can see proof of that is our relationship during my second pregnancy. I told the podcast community first, um, long before I put it out anywhere else. And in some cases, long before I told some of my like jobs, um, some family members, because I felt like we're talking to each other week after week and you should know what I'm going through. And anybody who's going through it with me, I wanted to be in community with you. On that note, just before I got pregnant, I met Shinola Hampton at a Jeannie Mai event. And Shinola had two children and was radiant and full and vibrant and excited. And she was one of the first people that made me consider having more kids, even though at the time, Jared and I had decided that we were one and done. So when I got pregnant and I wasn't feeling radiant or jubilant or excited, I contacted Shinola and I was like, you had this light and this magic and I don't have that at all. Can we talk? And she said, yes. And we got to record that conversation. This is really one of the ones I know I said at the top, these aren't my top 10 favorite episodes. Like they're the most impactful. I don't even know if this episode was for anyone else other than me. Um, but it's so dear to my heart that I just, I have to run it back one more time. And then it was two years, three months to the day almost that we had Doc, my son. And and it turned out that that age gap was absolutely perfect for our family. And that God, as always, or the universe, whatever you believe in, just kind of knew exactly what we needed and when we needed it. Was it ever shitty? Well, of course, I mean. Well, do you ever, I guess, because... Here's where I'm sort of at with this. In I loved having a baby. I loved having my first daughter. And I was able to live the exact life that I said that I wanted that everyone said wouldn't be possible. Right. And I kept that joy and that spark in my eye. Yeah. You know, I don't have that with this other one. Okay. And I'm that kind of scares me. And meeting you and seeing that joy and that spark in your eyes just always really encouraged me. And so I feel bad that I lost that right now. No, you feel bad you lost that joy of that the like, second? Yeah, like what you have and what I feel like you, it seems like you had this whole time, this optimism, this enthusiasm, this joy. I really resonated with that with my first, but I, I don't feel that now. And I don't know, like if I can, I don't know. I think that that's not abnormal. I think what happens is, especially when you have the first baby and your husband and there's this joy and, it's, and you have a center, but you still have such a good balance too. But also you have your rhythm and you're like, this works. Yes. Don't come shake up what's working. <laughs> yes. Let me explain something to you. I got her. I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't. I know what the triggers are. This is working. Yes. And you gonna come and disrupt something. And that's scary. And it's also like, but I'm so comfortable. I'm so comfortable. But what happens is when the baby comes, and, and this happens not only with the second pregnancy, but I think a lot of women experience that with the first, like 
there's this feeling that I'm supposed to have that people describe, but I don't have it. So now I feel bad for not having it. And as women, we always have such judgments of ourselves and what we're supposed to be feeling as opposed to just feeling whatever the heck we're feeling. And be, because we always feel like, and as much as we want to say that we empower women and stuff, we always feel like there is one woman looking at you with the side eye. Right. In some sort of judgment kind of way. It's like, well, I'm, I'm a really good mom too. I just don't... I love that my kids will go play by themselves. Guess what? I don't have to play with you. <laughs> I can ignore you for like three hours, you know? And people don't want to say that that's really what they want to do. But some women will be like, oh, she doesn't want to play with her kids. Oh, she da, 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 da. No, that's not what it is. And so I think that these feelings that come up are so normal and you can allow yourself to feel that way. And then when it switches, because I promise you, it's gonna switch when the baby's here. And it may not be the first month. It may not be the second month. There's going to be a moment where the two babies are together and you're gonna be like, got it. If you had the chance to do something different or to see a different version of yourself, do you feel like you would spend the rest of your life fighting to get back to the version of you that you are today? Absolutely. Absolutely, I'd be fighting tooth and nail. The one thing that I know is is that where my life is now, and honestly, waiting and having 14 years with my husband to just be married and being an older mama. I don't care about being the oldest in the mommy group because she don't look it, okay? <laughs> she still got a six pack, it's fine. But, but really... Everything that brought us to where we are now and to this moment, I would fight like hell to get right back here. It feels good. It feels better than good. It feels great. It feels right. And I want to live. And you want your kids. And I want, oh, I want my kids. My kids are meant to be my kids. They are so incredible Everybody says that about their kids because you see that light and you see a part of you and you see a part of your husband and you see who they are going to be as bigger kids. Yes. And what we are trying to do, what we are trying to do, the reason why I need you to have your second one is we're trying to battle the shitheads in the world. And we're trying to build kids who are tolerant and loving and who want to do good and who are not selfish and who are thinking about other people because we get to mold that and we get to give them that gift. In essence, we get to give the world that gift. And what else does the world really need? That's why, that's where our responsibility comes. It doesn't come with being excited about being pregnant and going through all this stuff. It's the excitement of knowing that when we leave, we have left something that is gonna do something. And that's an amazing thing that we get to do because of who you married, because of this version of your life, because you said yes says saying, okay, universe, I've got two. What am I going to do? And what gift am I going to give you? That's what the most important thing, short of shitty times, who cares? You're giving something real, real good to the world. And that's really our responsibility. Work is great. Accolades are great. Um, acknowledgements are great. But what we create in these little beings and what we're leaving um, is the best. So what are we here for? You're my North Star. You really are. <laughs> I love you. Thank you. I love you. you. Thank you. That's so good. Go get that, baby. Oh, my, oh God. my gosh. I'm so excited for you. I really am. 
I really, really am. You're going to be great. Oh, man. This conversation is really helpful, Chanel. Oh, I'm so glad, babe. You are doing so great. Do you understand me? I know. I'm so scared. I know you are. I know. And I know that I know you are. And you're scared is to help somebody else because you're going to see that wasn't that scary. I'm telling you. You're doing so great, baby. And you're doing a lot. All right, so I actually want to combine two episodes into one segment that I'm going to just call Why Are Straight Men So Boring in Bed? That was actually the title of one of our most shared episodes. And then later on, I did an interview with Tim Chantarongsu about men's lack of involvement in sex education. And I kind of feel like these two conversations could go together. They didn't at the time, but now they're going to. So here it goes. Being able to be open, like how open is a heterosexual black man really going to be about his kinks, things that turn him, because kinks for heterosexual black men normally are things that you're going to tuck away Yeah. because the community is going to shun you for that. You know what I'm saying? Men will shun you for it. Women will shun you, shun you for it. You know what I'm saying? Your family might shun you for it. So you're not going to say, hey, I like being tied up. Or, you know what I mean? I like somebody to punch me in my nuts. There's no, there's no space for that in our community. Um, but with us being able to communicate and talk, and I think obviously for her, the first thing was, do you like a finger in your butt? And I was like, I'm not against it. Like, I don't, I don't. <laughs> Show me what yeah, you mean. I'm not, Can I like, get an example? for it, but. <laughs> Hey, it's you. I trust you. If that's what you want to do, you know, fucking let's just have fun. Mm -hmm. And we had that type of fun. And then we started exploring more. And I hired two uh, dominatrix for her birthday. She didn't know. Um, she was just sitting up in the room. We were drinking and, and chiefing a little bit. And then I had one come in one door and another one come in another door with their whips. And I had to sit in the corner and watch. And it was an interesting time because what all a of a sudden. great birthday gift. All yeah. of a sudden. Jared, I'm, why have we never thought about that? <laughs> that's crazy that's a great birthday gift but then you realize in that that's when I realized that sex was so much more because they had her screaming and yelling and they don't have a dick they don't have that and this is my main go to is my <laughs> dick but they had her yes mistress yes mistress and they're doing all of these things and I'm, she was so wet and happy and exhausted when it was over I was like literally blown away by this experience, I think the anxiety probably just took me over. So they was like, come over here and let us suck your dick. My dick was like, no. I don't wanna. And um, <laughs> from there, we started going to sex parties or play parties and things of that nature. And um, even going to those, I was not as, as confident of a man that I normally am. I was not present at the first one or the second one really. Wasn't until I really got comfortable with the space that I was kind of able to walk around dick out like I, I remember the first time we went she we was like oh you want to drink and I was like yeah I'm gonna go put my pants on she's like I got it and she walked across the room in her panties to the thing and I'm just like why is she so confident like why is she so comfortable here because I'm like no let me cover up and I realized I had work sex toys for women 
makes a woman freaky. I mean, for yeah. I think more of an evolved man, because there's still a sector of the population who looks at it like if you use a sex toy, that means that I'm not doing my job. So it becomes like an ego challenge for them. So mm-hmm. there are still a large percentage of women who are struggling to even say, like, I use a vibrator in my free time yeah. um, to bring that into the conversation. But then on the flip side, there is a sector who was like, yeah, if you're into BDSM, if you bring in the Benoit balls, if you bring in the lubricant, like if you bring in the BDSM, like that's sexy and hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But sex toys for women is progressive. It's liberating for men it means you're a loser Mm. that i think is the stigma that a lot of people are fighting against women have become more the agency of their bodies they have started doing Mm -hmm. more and learning their bodies more and exploring more and if we as men just stay in one space they're catapulting past us Mm -hmm. like on so many different levels and it's like yo men need to realize that the power of sex is mental more than physical Mm -hmm. it's it's about literally exploring every part of her being. So why wouldn't I want to incorporate that? Why wouldn't I want to meet her on that level? When my girl showed me her drawer full of dildos and vibrators and uh, wrist straps and all types of stuff, I was faced with a a fork in the road. Either I stay over here, because she's going to use these. This is not, not, I'm not replacing these. (laughs) So either incorporate them or get lost. And that's kind of what got me into being a little bit more explorative. A lot of heterosexual men in particular, they're discouraged Mm. from educating themselves sexually. Mm. I think there's so much pressure. First of all, there's so much pressure for your penis to do all the things. Yeah. So you're like, my dick should be able to put out fires, last hours, give 40 different orgasms Mm, and like- Feed uh, 400 people. Exactly. So then you get so wrapped up in that, it feels embarrassing or shameful to admit that you need help in any other area. Mm. So I just, I feel there's a lot of ego. And I know this specifically as someone who studies sex, I very, rarely go to classes or workshops right, right, right. where there are men there any straight men there's oh. men there there's usually gay men there um or bisexual men there well i was i was always a very inquisitive dude i feel like maybe because i was an only child and i was just really curious about stuff i wasn't talking to anybody about it i'll tell you this i just told this story on me and david's podcast um one way i learned about sex so early on is i was watching Married with children with my with my dad, right? We used to watch the show all the time as a little kid, but of course I didn't understand any of the sexual jokes, right? So there's one episode specifically where Al Bundy was impotent, right? He couldn't get it up. So they're making all these like limp dick jokes that I just didn't understand. So then I looked up the word impotent in the dictionary. My parents had a big ass dictionary. I looked up impotent and it was like, oh, you know, when a man uh, can't get an erection, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, erection, what's that? I looked up erection and then, oh, when a man, blah, 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 for sexual intercourse. I was like, oh, intercourse, what's that? So then I just, you know, was like this like rabbit hole of the technical shit, right? And that's where I really started like learning how things worked. And I just felt like, um, why not? <laughs> Are you shocked at my shockness? At me actually willing to research and stuff? Yes. I wouldn't say I'm shocked, but like I'm I'm intrigued at the points you're making because it makes sense because a lot of people and dudes specifically, there is this whole thing where it's like, you're either good at fucking or you're not. No one ever really talks about getting help. You yes. know what I'm saying? I think if anything, you talk to your boys about it, but when you talk to your boys, you're, you're never really, like locker room talk is never like, yo, how can I improve myself? It's, it's, I'm bragging about what I have done, all right? So then it's all ego in the locker room. And even when I was in college, so I took human sexuality in college and like women's studies and stuff. And even 
like like you said, a lot of people I feel are embarrassed to just have like a matter of fact conversation about it. Yes. Because we were in, I was in this human sexuality class and I told a story about, oh, like how I like came too fast, blah, blah, blah. Or it, it was either how I came too fast or I went soft or something like that. And a couple of people in the class were like, oh my God, I can't believe you told that story. And I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it happens to everybody. Like you're really like, why? You know what I'm saying? People mm. are like shocked. Um, but I'm like, are, what, are, what are we doing here? You know what I'm saying? Are we not trying to learn, you know, like have the conversation? Did you ever have your friends, your dude friends ask you for advice? Because it sounds like this is an area of yours that you were interested in. You took human sexuality courses. Yeah. You researched from a young age. You were sexually active, fairly young. You were before the average. Is there a level of acknowledgement of like, oh shit, Tim might know more. Yeah, so let nah. me. <laughs> nah, not, not, not that I can think of. It's always either shared. Here's the thing. It's either shared brag stories or shared embarrassing stories. Um, and then you give each other advice through the embarrassing stories as friends but ah, but i don't think it's ever been a dude let me get your advice you yeah know? like you seem like you're good at this can you help me yeah yeah let's see in my life has anybody ever has, has like a friend ever came up to me for sexual advice nah not that i can say men and their egos right? jeez <laughs> Speaking of conversations that go together, I'm actually going to tie these ones together too. So I spoke with Rachel Lindsay, who you might know from The Bachelor or from the podcast Higher Learning and many other places. She's an author and just an incredibly accomplished, vibrant woman that I just love. And I really wish that we could actually, when the podcast is over and I have more time, I'm going to set uh, an intention to hang out with Rachel as friends because I really feel like we have the potential to be good friends. But Rachel said to me, I want to talk about being a boss in the streets and kind of meh in the sheets. Um, and then a couple or a year later, Drew Love from the R&B group, They, approached me to talk about low sex drive within his past current romantic relationship. And just having these two individuals talk about low sex drive so empoweringly um, and vulnerably it was just such a beautiful experience for me and something that I'm very, very happy to run back for you. It's like, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm like, these are conversations that we probably need to have more because the assumptions that come when it comes to the bedroom sometimes hinder the, the sexual relationship between the two, you know? And then, then life also just gets in the way where you're just so busy and so exhausted that you focus on so many other things and you prioritize other, prioritize other things that sex gets put on the back burner, you know? Or you being this porn star in the bedroom gets put on the back burner. And so sex isn't as exciting or as adventurous as it used to be or it can be at times. Do you know what I love, though, that you said? You're like, and I'm okay with that. I am okay with that. Because you know what? A question I used to get or an assumption was that I was, Brian and I were freaky all the time. Because when you watched us on the show, we were always making out, we were all over each other, and we had very beautiful conversation as well. But our storyline is that we had the hots for each other and he was this Latino lover mm -hmm. and we just are so sensual and have this amazing sex. And of course, you know, there, there are certain stereotypes with a black woman as well. We're this Jezebel and we're so, you know, freaky as well and love to have sex all the time. And 
I think those expectations were on us at the beginning too, where there was a lot of pressure. People would ask us like, oh, what kind of sex do you have? And you know, what, you know, are you always pleased in the bedroom? And how many times do you have it? And it's like, who were these people who would ask these questions? I mean, it's it's okay if it's me. It would be a magazine, (laughs) it would be a podcast. It's just like random things. You're like, oh, how's your relationship? Or if, if we were talking about the fantasy suite or something, they just got, they just assume like, oh, I bet you and Brian can't keep your hands off of each other. Oh, yeah, I understand. And it's like, I think people would be really disappointed to hear currently about our sex life. And I'm okay with it that it's not living up to the expectations that people think of us. We are long removed from the fantasy suite. Not that what we we have and what we do isn't beautiful. It just isn't as wild, I think, as people may be. And frankly, too, because I'm just tired these days. Mm-hmm. I'm exhausted. And I wish more people would talk about that, right? I, I hate questions sometimes that are like, how many times do y'all have sex a week? And then you're sitting with a room. I remember I was doing a podcast one time. And I was. they were like, how many times do you have sex a week? And they were asking certain people. It was like a round table. And everyone was like, three to five, three to five. And I just lied. I was just like, whatever number I said, it wasn't true. It wasn't true, whatever I said. But I just remember thinking in that moment, the pressure we feel to to live up to people's expectations when it comes to sex. And if you don't have sex this much a week or a month, then your relationship isn't on the same level as that other person's. Mm -hmm. And I wish we talk about more that like, no, sometimes it's zero this week. And sometimes it might be four or five, but it's inconsistent because that's just how life is. And I just hate living up to people's sexual expectations. Especially, I think going back to that quote that I read, when you provide so much in a relationship and Mm -hmm. there's so much harmony and joy and entrainment within the relationship, mm-hmm. the expectation that this has to be not just the cherry on top, the glue that holds all together. Yeah. Where it's like, I, it's okay if I'm dropping a ball. Yes, yes. Like, why do we have to, you know, I was listening to Gabrielle Union talk about it, like all the hats that we're supposed to wear as women. And if you drop one thing or if you're not doing something, then you're not whole. You're not fulfilled. You know, I get a lot of questions right now about like, why aren't you and why don't you and Brian have a child? I can put up a beautiful video of me and Brian or talk about a beautiful experience that we had. And it's like, okay, that's great. But when are we getting a baby? Mm -hmm. And it's like, first of all, you don't know what fertility issues that I'm going through. You don't even know if maybe my desires for children have changed. Maybe I don't want as many as I might have said before. Maybe I'm prioritizing other things in my life. And whatever those reasons may be, it's okay. But people putting that pressure on me is very, very problematic. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to understand that there can be phases in relationships where you don't have sex. It doesn't mean that you guys aren't into each other. It doesn't mean that you guys are not sexual people. You guys can have different focuses going on in your life. And, a lot, and and sex is something that definitely takes a lot of focus and energy. And if you're at a, a phase in your life where different things are going on where you can't give that much energy to that at that point, I think it's understandable, especially if you guys have a real strong bond and understanding that that sex will come back and there'll be pockets where that sex is active and pockets where, where it isn't. I think that's okay. But I guess it's to each their own. I mean, some people need sex all the time at, at every given point, no matter what's going on. And that's understandable too. Well, we were talking about this before, how stereotypes come into play here because you're an R&B singer. So I think already traditionally there's a stereotype on your sex life. You're a man, you're a black man. So those things combined, there's probably an assumption that you're horny all the time. It's interesting because I went through a period of really low sex drive um, last year, like excruciatingly low. I was pregnant and 
I was pregnant and as you saw, I have another child as well. And yeah. so it was so much need on me already and my body was at low capacity. Mm -hmm. Like my kid doesn't care if I'm pregnant or not. She needs whatever she wants for me. And so in my marriage, I was like, I need no more need. Yeah. Like I don't want to feel like I'm not enough or I'm not providing for somebody. So like not only am I telling you this is not going to happen, but I don't even want to feel the pressure from mm -hmm. you. And in order to do that, if you need to go and get a fuck buddy or something else, I completely support you. See, that's what I'm talking about. But I think that that's at a conversation around non-monogamy, yeah, yeah. not around like non-ethics, like just don't let me find out. So I guess I'm curious if that became a part of it where you're like, are we willing to change our relationship dynamic from monogamous to something else to account for the fact that I want to keep our intimacy, but mm. I realize a physical intimacy isn't possible for me right now. It got to that point later on, like almost towards the end of when it, you know, kind of really just broke apart. It got to the point where I realized, like, hey, man, whatever's going on with me right now in my lack of intimacy towards this person or in general doesn't seem like it's going to clear up soon enough for this person to be happy about it. So, I, you know, it, it had continued. It continued. I was like, look, honestly, and it was I think it was like a drunken night with some drunken words, but I but I really did mean it. I was like, look, honestly, if you need to find yourself something that to take care of these needs that I'm not for, you know, in my to paraphrase what I actually said that night. You know what I mean? If you need to go find somebody to take care of the needs that I'm not taking care of right now, I'm just saying I wouldn't blame you. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just saying I wouldn't blame you and don't let me find out. I told her those words. I was like, just ignorance is bliss. Don't let me find out. And she she felt insulted by that. And I can understand <laughs> why. But I was trying to give her another out to get what she needed. That's fair. Mm -hmm. I think that was a, an attempt at getting attempt. there. Right. That, that's fair enough. Why is it so? Like, I, I can account for myself when I've gone through a little sex drive. I know why I was like, even though my partner wants it, even though cause it's one of those things where it's not finite like money. Right. Right. Like when your partner's asking you for money, either you have it or you don't. Yeah. When it comes to sex, we in theory have it. Yeah, we have it. But even when our partner is asking and even when all the incentive is there to do it, for some reason, you just can't. What was your reason? I don't know to this day that if, like, I can really pinpoint exactly what it was. But it, to touch back on something you were saying earlier, it was it became also a thing where it's just like now that I know that I haven't done it, like it's almost like a clock was being kept in the lap. When was the last time that we had sex, right? And it was just like I knew when it got to X point and then we're laying down together. It was just this pressure you felt that was coming from almost like I could see her staring at me like <laughs> waiting for some dick. Like, you know what I'm saying? Type of shit. Like it, it felt like and every night that I would lay down or whatever and feel that pressure knowing I wasn't about to be able to deliver, it was just that made it worse. That almost pushed my desire back even farther because it be, now became a pressure thing. And it shouldn't be a pressure thing with the person that you're in a relationship with. So um, to answer your question of what I what it was that I couldn't, why I couldn't do it, I could have, but I knew that like, I'm probably, you're probably not about to get a great performance out of me and it's probably not going to please you. And if I sit there and, and do this and I don't finish or I don't stay up the whole time or I'm just like not in it, it's probably going to make you feel worse than if I didn't, we didn't do it at all type of thing. So that was part of the reason why I was like, there was a couple of times I'm like, all right, let me just do it to make sure she's good. But, and then there were times where I would try to, you know, oral or whatever that, you know, like, but that was, you know, she needed the whole, the whole vibe. It got to a point where everything I was trying to do to explain how I was feeling came off as just like an excuse and that I was probably doing it with somebody else or I wasn't just feeling her anymore. You know what I mean? And that's the way she kind of took it. And I think as, as time's gone by, like I, I would hope that she understands a little more where I was coming from. But um, I think to myself, I'm still 
kind of like working on maybe some of the things that have me feeling that way. I mean, I think my sex drive is completely back. Like I'm, I'm good and I'm active in that area, but it's, um, I am interested to, to, to really pinpoint what it was. So like, if it does ever happen again, I can figure out how to maybe nip it in the bud. Something I've said multiple times in this podcast that still stands true for me today is that the first episode is one of, if not the best episode to me of Lovers and Friends. Just because we had a lot of time with it, we had like two months to develop it and it was the pilot and there was just so much segments and sounds and movement and nuance. It was tactical. I went and did something. You got to hear me go through an experience. Uh, we did an interview in the field and then I had this beautiful conversation with my husband afterwards, which is actually what I'm about to replay for you. Of all the dialogues I've ever had with Jared before, there's something about this one that was so tender and touching. Um, and I also want to give a little spoiler alert because episode one was all about help. I can't orgasm from penetrative sex. So that isn't to say I can't orgasm from penetration plus clitoris because I can, but if I'm not getting outer direct consistent clitoral stimulation, I will not orgasm from intercourse or from fingers or from a toy. Um, so Anybody who's experienced this or who's a part of this, two thirds of women know exactly what I'm talking about. You can tend to feel broken or like the less valuable sexual partner because you don't derive pleasure from the way that is usually depicted in movies and in porn, etc. So the first episode was just me claiming that insecurity and talking about it out loud. And since then, I've had the benefit of a hundred episodes where I've had experts and doctors. I had a procedure done. Um, I've learned about different positions. We had the Kama Sutra episode with Seema Anand, which was just, of course, so enriching, fulfilling for all of us. And so after all of this education and scaffolding um, and knowledge, I just want to share with you all that I sit here today as a woman who still has never had an orgasm from penetration alone. Ain't shit changed. <laughs> All the tips and techniques and yeah, that this they've been really fun and they have been pleasurable and they have been um, explorative and interesting and juicy and fun, but orgasmic, no. And that isn't to say, again, I want to really circle back to this conversation with Jared. That isn't to say I'm closing myself off from the idea that I can't. It's just my early hunch is starting this podcast. This is a way that my body naturally functions um, still rings true to today. And I will continue to play and be open and try new positions and hear new ideas um, without using the can't word while also not feeling less than if I can't. And uh, I think I've been able to get to this beautiful place because of conversations like this that I had with Jared, which is why I thought it was important to share. So as of right now, I've had the O shot for over a month. So you might be wondering, was it worth it? And furthermore, was I able to achieve an orgasm for penetration alone as a result of receiving it? These are answers that I am dying to share with you, but also answers I wanted to share with my husband, Jared Brady. <laughs> I am here. <laughs> talking about your vagina you know what's actually interesting you said things about my vagina in that office i've never heard before i've never heard you said that i have a slanted slants to the left well no you have like a fold like there's a specific fold that you have 
Um, like I think it's on the left side of your, the top of your, like right above the clit. Well, speaking of standing out, do you feel like we've had standout sex since I've had the O shot? I feel that the sex has been a lot more intentional. Um, it's been a little bit more engaging, uh, but I don't know if that is the result of the shot or just the fact that we are in a good season. We are in a good season right now. Yeah. I'm having a great time with you. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. super love you these days. Do you um, notice a difference from getting the shot? I think a big part of why I didn't necessarily feel a dramatic difference. The way I would describe it is I felt something different. However, if I had this procedure done while I was asleep and no one told me, I don't know if I'd be like, something is way different. Mm. But because I know that I had it, I was more mindful. And I was like, yeah, there are new experiences. There was one definite new experience, which I'll talk about in a second. But for me, um, I think pregnancy already gave so much drastic changes that were undeniable. That's why I think maybe this one maybe was just more subtle. If I didn't just have a baby and just go through pregnancy, which again, to me, really transformed my vagina and my vaginal experience uh, for the better. Well, I, mean, I came out of, I think I came out of having a, a baby with more sensation. Um, and I feel like either that or your technique dramatically changed. Well, too, also, it's, um, you know, Dr. Pouchet said that it also comes with a laser. Um, yes, I would have gotten the combination. The combination between the laser and the injection that it would have been a more noticeable change. I mean, it would be interesting to see if uh, how long it will last and if it fades away, will you notice a difference? Yes, so I yeah. might have to do a follow-up in six months and say like, okay, here's what's different. Did you wish that this shot would give you a penetration orgasm? Yeah. 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 I mean, why not? Right. Sure, that would be nice to like, it would be nice to have that, but there was a balance for me because I never want to feel like I'm ungrateful for my pleasure or I am disappointed in my pleasure, but rather instead I want to continue to push my pleasure potential. Mm. Just like me seeking out more out of my career isn't mm -hmm. to say I'm disappointed with my current career. It's just like, well, I just want to continue to grow and see how much further. So that was a difficult thing for me too, to navigate with this of like, I, the last thing I wanted to do was to make, cause I've taken a long time to actually feel proud of my pleasure. I think for many years, because I don't orgasm from penetration alone and because I know people who do, or even when I had that, um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but when we did that video, that was all about women orgasming and everybody else was like, I orgasm from my ears. I orgasm from my nipples. I orgasm from my butt. And I did not have any of those experiences. I was like, wow, like I am shitty. Yeah. <laughs> like my body is not doing what it's supposed to do because these women's bodies, like they're just hyper orgasmic all the time. And so I had to really reconcile over the years and the work that I've done as an educator. I'm just saying it's wonderful that different people's bodies functions in different ways. But the one thing we can never do is measure experience. Yeah. So maybe you can orgasm seven different ways, but maybe the one way that I can orgasm is a very powerful or a more powerful experience. And then again, I shouldn't be trying to compete with anybody, but the way that I've made peace with it is the way that my body experiences pleasure is good enough. And I'm happy that I have a pleasure potential for orgasm, which some people don't have. And I'm not going to continue to try to force myself to see how else, you know, my body can perform. I'm going to just celebrate what it does. Yeah. So when I opened my brain up to doing this, a part of me was like, is this me admitting that what I have now is not good enough? Yeah, I mean, it's only natural to go there, but I think that's a uh, 
a result of the world, the way the world interacts with women and their pleasure. Did you, if you had to design our, our pleasure schema in our relationship, what would you add, take away, subtract anything? I really didn't understand the question. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I guess I'm more so just asking, are you disappointed that I can't orgasm from vaginal penetration? I don't, I don't think, I don't think that, um, in my head, when I hear I can't, I don't think that's true. I think you can. I just think that we haven't figured out that process yet. Um, and I think there's a, there's a, there's definitely a way, you know? Are you, do you care if we find that way or do you? I do care. It's a desire of mine. Mm. It's a desire of mine. You know, it's, it, there's something about it that's different. I'm all about expanding and what makes sex great is learning new things. So, um, a part of you orgasming, orgasming from penetration is going to be hot. It's going to be new. It's going to be new territory. So I know that over the course of our relationship, it would be nice to figure that part out. Yeah. Not to say that there's any pressure for you to figure that out, but it more so pressure on me to figure out what that takes because you've never had one. But I also think that there's something nice about the term over the course of our relationship. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a goal that's achieved with a shot. Yeah. Right. Like it could take a shot plus a laser plus a vacation plus five years plus two more kids. Like who knows what the combination is. But the fact that we're just opening up as a potential rather than as a goal, I think that's really helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll figure it out over this course of lifetime. Honestly, when you first told me about it, the first thing that came to my mind selfishly was like, dang, I wonder if there's something I can inject into my penis yes. that can make it feel more. Which Dr. Pouchet said that there is a pee shot. Yeah, but I don't know where it's at. She doesn't do it, so we yeah. have to go and look for that. Do you yeah. want to look into that for you? Um, That'd be a good I, podcast episode. Say the word. It. Yeah? yeah? You're going to get a pee shot? Yeah, let's do it. You already have a very sensitive penis, though. I know. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> what else can we get? Yeah, I know. <laughs> How much further can this pleasure go? So I wanted to share 10 episodes that I think really depict the magic that we have created here on Lovers and Friends. And the 10th one, I don't have a clip, but what I do have is a list of many of your favorite episodes. So I take out a pen and paper right now. You may have to write some of these down if any of them pique your interest. So Edward loved the Becky G episode. Becky G obviously is a huge international pop star, and that is our number one watched episode on YouTube. Hailface says, go to therapy or we're over and blowjobs. Everything you don't know, you needed to know. Let me tell you something. That's an amazing pick. So Go to Therapy or We're Over is with David So, a comedian who did not come with the funnies that day. He was very serious, very deliberate, and had a really strong, powerful message around the importance of therapy and how that had transformed his life and his romantic life. And uh, the Blowjobs episode is one of my favorite too. It actually did not perform that well, which I can't ever really figure out why, because it is jam-packed with good information if you care to be good at this thing. Um, Hailface also said rape is not sex. That guest, I actually wish with all my heart that I had Ashley on here one more time, Ashley C. Ford. Um, Ashley C. Ford was a phenomenal guest and that episode was so touching and one I'm so, so proud to do. Another episode that I know people had mentioned as one of their favorites is the herpes episode. If I were to say my two most I don't want to say favorite guests, but the two guests that I left being like, that was a 
magical experience was Ashley C. Ford and then Shira Lazar. And it was just because both of them knew so strongly what they had to say, what they wanted to share and had done it frequently enough um, that they were able to do it just so succinctly and beautifully and powerfully. And of course, given the fact that these are about very touchy subjects, herpes and rape, um, it just made it so, it, it blew me away. And um, I know many people won't tune into those episodes unless they have herpes or they have experience of sexual assault. And I just highly, highly, highly recommend that anybody who loves to hear people speak with passion and poise, tunes into those episodes. Ooh. Free 63 says the 10 Soulmates episode. That's a phenomenal one. It's a solo episode. But if you want to hear my take on the 10 different kinds of soulmates, I think it's a really great one to make peace with a lot of your breakups. That episode is called When Your Soulmate Becomes Your Ex. If that title resonates with you, you will love that episode. Um, she's gone forever said the one with Elaine and her husband. It's nice to hear of non-glamorous intimacy and Jesse and many other people said, I love the, I'm a grown ass woman who doesn't have any friends episode. I wish that I had time to do a part two to that. And I'm actually excited because as you guys know, it's not a goodbye. It's a hiatus. And I am going to have pop in episodes here and there when I have the capacity and space, um, they'll be a surprise to me as they will be a surprise to you whenever those comes out. But because I am inviting more time into my life next year and less deadlines, I am going to be focusing more on friendships. And so I'm going to have a great follow-up episode to the I'm a grown-ass woman without any friends episode sometime in 2024. Um, someone said a therapist and her husband choosing to be child-free. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Dr. Asticker says, do we really want vulnerable men? I damn near put that one in my top nine favorite episodes. And if it's not on yours, go and re-listen. Such a great eye-opening, multifaceted, multi-perspective episode, arguably one of our most shared episodes, at least on Spotify, as I know. Mushy Pie says, the Kama Sutra episodes. Anything with Seema. I almost put Seema into this recap, but once again, I only wanted to put episodes um, that were a little bit further back in the library and both the Seema's episodes were fairly recent, but doesn't mean that you still shouldn't run them back. Lori M. Conley said that she loved the episode with Watch Jazzy, which is I Baby My Man and It Works For Us, our most viral episode. Jack E. said the one with Bailey and Swaggy C. This was about a couple with a child navigating the idea of open relationships. And I had... Um, a therapist on that one who also provided more definitions and clarity around some of the concepts that they were toying with. Rapid fire. Gabrielle C says the sacred sex episode. Alex says why straight men are boring in bed. Tika said the herpes conversation. Chase said the Leia Lamar conversation, which was all about breaking dating the familiar. I think that episode is called why do I keep dating people like my dad? It may not be called that at all, but search up Leia Lamar. It was a fascinating conversation around breaking patterns. Indeji says dating in your 20s. We did two on those, one with Harry Jowsey and the other one was with Andrea Lewis. There is some love for the Nina Westbrook episode. There is some love for the Vanessa and Xander episode. 
Becky G coming up quite a bit. Ashley Heseltine, just so you know, we ain't fucking. I'm going to actually end on that one because that was one of the most fun episodes to make. And I shared lessons that would have saved me so much drama in my 20s. So if you're in your 20s, that's my final rec to you. Um, go listen to Just So You Know, We Ain't Fucking featuring Ashley Heseltine, who you might know from Girls Gotta Eat podcast, a podcast that has been going strong consistently for years and killing the game. How did you guys do it? That is what I'll come back and figure out next time around. And when I do come back, it'll be with that Girls Gotta Eat energy because right now your girls gotta rest. And that's what I'm on. Thank you so much for an incredible experience making this podcast and creating a community that loves love. It's been an honor and I can't wait to talk with you soon. Bye lovers. Bye friends. Lovers and friends. Lovers and friends. I'm going to take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I said, lovers and friends. Uh, I'm going to hold you down, down to the end. I said, lovers and friends. Uh, lovers and friends. And I said, lovers and friends. I'ma hold you down, down to the end. I said, I'ma wax that, I'ma tax that, bring it back so you can mac that, pack that. Where you going? Press play, podcast streaming, got you going all day, talking about the good, good. Girl, you know you look good, sex, bring sex, feeling understood. Yeah, you find it now, you know good. But if you listen, pay attention, you gon' find out how to make a miss. You got a ticket, baby, you just lovers and friends. Lovers and friends.